Good morning, New Life East. You may be seated. Greetings to you from New Life downtown. Thank you for having me. I'm excited to be here, first of all, because you're such good people. Uh, second of all, because you have air conditioning. <laughs> we do not have air conditioning at New Life downtown in the summer, and it is a lot. So thank you for having me here today. We're going to continue in our sermon series we're doing in the church on the Psalms of Ascent. This morning's psalm is Psalm 128. One of the major themes of the psalm is happiness. Happiness. So these psalms, the Psalms of Ascent, uh, were songs that the people of God sang as they were sort of going up, as it were, to Jerusalem for different festivals. They're very short songs. I don't know about you, but um, we sang songs together as a family when we were traveling when I was growing up, probably because our tape player was broken a lot of the times and nothing was coming through on the AM, FM radio. Does anyone younger than 20 here know anything of what I'm saying? <laughs> I don't know. But we had songs that we liked and songs that I just personally didn't like as much. The Ants Go Marching, not my favorite song. I'm wondering, um, did the people of God, did each of them like all the different psalms of ascent? Like, were there certain psalms where they went, not this one again? Do you have worship songs that aren't your favorite? Can we talk about that? Was it any of them this morning? No, 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 no. I'll go first. I'll tell you one I don't like. Uh, that song, um, I'm Coming Back to a Heart of Worship When the Music Fades. Some people love that song. I do not love that song. It is slow. I've heard it so many times. Great words, great story behind the writing of the song. I just don't like singing it personally. Uh, and I'm sure that if we stopped singing each of the worship songs that someone dislikes, there would be nothing left. Maybe the doxology. Maybe, <laughs> I don't know. But um, I also want to say humbly that I have had a distaste for this particular psalm that we're looking at today. It was interesting um, to be given this psalm <laughs> to speak about. Uh, let me tell you why. First of all, uh, actually, let me read it out loud. And as I read it, maybe you can pay attention to any interior movements that you have toward the words of this psalm as well? Are there words that sort of make uh, the hair on your neck stand up? Or are you just comfortable and happy about all these words here? Let's go with verse 1, Psalm 128. Happy is everyone who fears the Lord, who walks in his ways. You shall eat the fruit of the labor of your hands. You shall be happy, and it shall go well with you. Your wife will be like a fruitful vine within your house. Your children will be like olive shoots around your table. Thus shall the man be blessed who fears the Lord. The Lord bless you from Zion. May you see the prosperity of Jerusalem all the days of your life. May you see your children's children. Peace be upon Israel. The word of the Lord. There are two reasons why I haven't 
had a great affection for the psalm. The first one is that it triggers within me memories of my time at university in a community that held, had more of like a prosperity gospel bent or what is sometimes called the health and wealth bent. Maybe you've heard Pastor Andrew talk about this. He and I went to the same school. We had similar experiences in that world. The, the major part of the prosperity gospel that I have an issue with is that it is taught that if you have faith, if you sow your faith as a seed, then what's going to come back to you is immense blessing. And therefore, if what is not coming back to you feels like a blessing, perhaps you're not sowing properly or perhaps there's something wrong with you. There's something about this psalm that kind of triggers little elements of that for me or has. But the second thing is, I just sometimes wonder if this psalm can sort of marginalize some people. It can highlight one's disappointment with their own home life or make them question, so if things aren't going in my life as I would like, does that mean I am not one of the blessed people of God? This psalm is all about how happiness comes with the fear of the Lord, how the fear of the Lord brings blessings. But surely there were pilgrims in the midst of the people of God who felt acute heartbreak at these words. Surely. How does one sing this psalm after a crop failure? How does one sing about the children around their table after they've buried one of their beloved? What about the women in the company? Maybe there were some women who wanted to conceive and couldn't. How did they sing this psalm? Surely even in this room, there are those of us who feel acute heartbreak or disappointment, perhaps even anger at these words. Now when we hold this psalm up to the collection of all the songs in the book of Psalms, we see that there, this is not the only message that we get about fearing God. If we hold this psalm next, uh, up next to, let's say, Psalm 73, that's like, why do I see the wicked prospering and the righteous seem to be perishing? Then we see that we kind of have to look at the whole story of God to really know how to hold this psalm in light of others. That we don't get to just pick and choose the verses or psalms that suit our desire or suit our season of life. They have to be held together with others. But that still leaves a curiosity for me about this particular psalm, what did it mean to the Israelites, to the people of God? And what does it still have to say to us today? So that's what we're going to look at this morning. First, I just want to note that this psalm is bookended with a blessing. There's, there's wisdom here. It's not just a transactional sort of, if you do this, then this is what is going to happen. Just like in the, we don't take every Proverbs as a like, every time you do this, then this will surely happen. It's just a wisdom. There's a hope in it. There's an invitation to trust that there is something true about these words. May you, you will, you shall. There's a hope for future blessing that's inherent in this. Second, we notice that the psalmist connects happiness with the fear of the Lord. And for Israel, this would have been a reminder of God's words to Abraham, 
God's covenant with Moses, that God came to us first. I want to be your God, and I want you to be my people. I'm going to bless you. I am going to make you a great nation. Happiness for the people of Israel, especially the happiness presented in this psalm, was this feeling of security and good fortune because they worshiped the one true God. And this psalm was letting them hear words from God, you are going to be okay. You're going to be okay. The gods of the ancient Near East were typically angry gods. You feared those gods for sure, but you The fear and trembling was like, maybe if I do exactly the right things, then maybe I'll live. This is a psalm that talks about how a relationship with God brings you blessing and happiness. The God of this psalm is a God who desires to see his people thriving, satisfied. Happiness for the people of Israel was kind of often connected to three different things, and they're all named in this psalm. One was their family, because that's where your survival was certain, even your your good name. Another one was just your nation state. Is our tribe, is the other people in the other areas that we're having to work with or against here, is this going to work out for us? Are we going to come out on top? Are we going to be overtaken by another people group? but also their relationship with the only source of their goodness, their God, is addressed in this psalm. So imagine, um, and men in the family at that time, especially in this honor-shame culture, they were the ones who were carrying the weight of responsibility for all these things to go right for themselves, for their family, for their tribe, and eventually for their nation state. So for an Israelite to sing this song, they're going to be recognizing that they can breathe easy. You chose God, and it's going to be okay. And perhaps even there were many who could sing this song with gusto, who could say, my wife is doing well. My children, are, are look, it's looking good for the future generations of our family. We're eating the harvest that we sowed and worked. Our name in this tribe is respected. I'm hopeful that this community is actually seen as favored in the eyes of God. Whew, I'm glad I didn't turn to worship other idols. This is going pretty well. Yay, what joy, true happiness. But surely there were those that sang this psalm just as we read this psalm today who were sowing in tears. But as they sang this psalm, What they were singing was trust and hope. May my blessing not be too far off. I'm choosing you, God. Turn to me with blessing. You are the only source of my happiness. I think there's enough there for us to identify with just looking at it through the lens of the average Israelite so long ago. That's a beautiful thing. But I want to share something with you this morning that has really changed the way that I will see this psalm forevermore. 
as I was looking at this and just sort of recognizing the inner turmoil in myself, I, I, I believe the Spirit invited me to think about Jesus singing this psalm. We know that he went up to Jerusalem with his family when he was 12. We hear about that journey. It was a few days long. There were probably a lot of songs being sung during that time. Perhaps this was one of them. We know that he went up to Jerusalem different times with his disciples. And we know that he made his way to Jerusalem for the Passover feast as he was going literally to his death. And I pictured him singing this psalm. He did not have his own home. He was not married. He did not have children. And he was living under Roman occupation. As I pictured him singing this psalm, the Spirit said to me, Jesus could sing this because he is the ultimate fulfillment of Psalm 128. Jesus is the only one who has perfectly feared the Lord. His entire life was given over to loving obedience, service, even curiosity about the will of God. The way that he treated other people was in complete surrender to the love and will of God. He is the only one that has perfectly fulfilled this psalm. But what was his happiness? And I was led to John 15, where as Jesus is getting ready to die, he's talking to his disciples about how I'm the vine, you are the branches, remain in me, abide with me. And he starts speaking to them about his love for them. And one of the things he says is, I've told you these things so that my joy can be complete and your joy can be in me. Jesus' happiness, his blessing for all that he has sown, for perfectly fearing the Lord, his happiness is us. We, as the church, are his fruitful vine that he has fought for, that he has labored with. We are his children around the table. It says the Your children will be like olive shoots. What that means is there's like these little saplings that had so much promise and hope. And maybe in a few years they would grow into this thing that would produce for the family something wonderful. We are the children of promise, of hope to him. And Jesus even ensured the prosperity of Jerusalem as this psalmist prays. May you see the prosperity of Jerusalem. Jesus brought that by being the Messiah, the long-awaited one, by the power of his death and resurrection. Jesus is enjoying generation upon generation of his beloved children. I want to go to the book of Revelation right now to read about just exactly how Jesus has perfected everything. Hear these words through the lens of this Psalm 128. This is Revelation 21. I'm going to read verses 2 through 4 and 6 and 7. This is John speaking. He's been given a vision about what is to come. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, look, God's dwelling place is now among the people and he will dwell with them. They will be his people and God himself will be with them and be their God. 
He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain, for the old order of things has passed away. He said to me, John, it is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. To the thirsty, I will give water without cost from the spring of the water of life. Those who are victorious, that's us, will inherit this. Here's the promise fulfilled. I will be their God and they will be my children. So we've seen this psalm through the lens of the average Israelite. We've seen this psalm through the fulfillment of Jesus. Just those blessings in and of themselves to the average Israelite were wonderful things, wanted things, many of them some of us hope for. But what Jesus showed us in the fulfillment of this psalm is that there is so much more. If all we have to hope for is our relationships are going well, we have the resources we need, the things we put our hands to have brought some sort of fruition or effectiveness, and that's the good life, if that's it, we're in trouble. We needed more than that. And Jesus himself sang this song, and then he broke open all the barriers to our happiness. And he has given us everything, including even some fulfillments of the things in this psalm for his people. But I think this psalm has some invitations for us. I want to offer. I don't know how many of you have practiced um, what has been common in the church, a daily scripture reading, or sometimes there's just specific readings that the church will go through for a whole year. And there'll be like different Old Testament, New Testament, etc. But there's usually in those scripture readings always a psalm. You read a psalm every day. So in an entire year, you're going to read the book of the Psalms a couple of times all the way through. And so we will come across this psalm again in our lifetime. And when we do, What are the invitations that we should hear when we read this psalm? Let me offer just three to you. The first invitation of this psalm begins in verse 1. Happy is everyone who fears the Lord, who walks in his ways. May we fear the Lord. What does this mean, to fear the Lord? Eugene Peterson says that when either the Hebrew Bible or Christian, Christian scripture are talking about the fear of the Lord, it's referring to something that pulls us out of our preoccupations with ourselves, with our feelings, with our circumstances, and into a world of wonder. This, not, this fear is not a dread, it's astonishment. Not terror, but reverence. Not shaking in your boots panic, but being enraptured with loving fascination. God becomes, in the true fear of the Lord, God becomes our one desire, the thing that we are completely fascinated on. This may take a lifetime to learn, I recently figured out that there's a metaphor in my own life for this kind of relationship. 
It has to do with when I take my children to Target. May I share it with you? <laughs> okay, so this metaphor breaks down. You'll see it happening. But I am at Target a lot, and uh, you know that song, This Is My Father's World? I think when we're in there, my children think, this is my mother's world, <laughs> Target. And um, when I have to go on an errand, sometimes I like to take one of my kids with me. And I take them with me, not because I need them to work for me, but because I want to be with them. And I want to show them around this place that they're going to need to get to know. <laughs> and when all goes well, my dear one is skipping along with me. Maybe they're saying, oh, mom, hey, can I get something for you? I know that aisle over there. We've been there before. Or um, mom, is there something that I can do to help you while we're here? Or mom, look at this. Come over here and see this. I like this. And sometimes at the end of such a lovely trip, I'll think to myself, let's get her some gum. She loves gum. And sometimes there's gum at the end of the trip, and sometimes there's not. But either way, it's great. In our worst moments, though, one of my lovely children hears my invitation to go to Target as, I'm going to get some gum. <laughs> and so they come with me, and it's, did you see the gum? Are we going to get some gum? When are we going to get some gum? You said we were going to get some gum. Why didn't I get any gum? I wish I never would have come with you. We didn't get any gum. I think we can be like that sometimes with God, can't we? That instead of being in this world in a fascinated relationship of like, conversation constantly, moving throughout this space where there's work to do, things to see, things we can have, things we can't have. <laughs> that it's about being together. That sometimes I get really fixated on just, I'm going to, I'll go with you or I hope you're with me, but I really need this thing this way. The fear of the Lord is cultivating a relationship of wonder with God. So invitation number one, may we fear the Lord. The second invitation that this psalm brings us, may we rejoice in the good that has been given to us and to others. This psalm is inviting us to practice happiness. Look around you. Look around your life. Is there something here that's already blooming? Is there a gift that you have been given? Has there ever been anything in your life that to you has been a blessing? You can be sure where that came from. God loves to give good gifts. And this Psalm reminds us that we can be sure that God is the one who gives blessings. This psalm also encourages us to rejoice in what God has given to others, too. I don't know about you, but I so often struggle with a scarcity mindset. There's only so much to go around, even spiritually. If this person is living this really great life or what I think is a great life, and they're receiving this blessing, then it probably means I won't. And living inside of that scarcity mindset, it's really hard for us to hold suffering and joy together. That's actually what the entirety of the Psalms, including this one, invites us to do. This Psalm tells us it's okay to rejoice in the gifts you've been given. It's okay 
for someone who is grieving to rejoice in the gifts you've been given. And it's okay when you are grieving for you to rejoice in the gifts that others have been given as well. Practice happiness. It doesn't have to be separated from the presence of suffering. Finally, the third invitation I want to offer is that this psalm invites us to learn true happiness. I want to talk to you about a term maybe you've heard before called holy indifference. This is something that a great saint of our faith, Ignatius of Loyola, talked about. He lived hundreds of years ago. He loved Jesus. He has a really amazing conversion story. And one of the things that he encouraged his followers to do is to um, maintain a right relationship with all created things by not holding on to things too tightly. He called that attachment. When we grasp, when we manage, when we control, that's an attachment. But holy indifference holds things closely or releases them only in as much as they help us to love and serve Jesus, our heart's true home. I figured out an attachment that I had recently when um, I've been working with someone on just some health and strength goals that I have and I'm having a good time this is really going well and then he sends me an email with some things I need to work on that week and as I'm reading the email I get down to the bottom I'm like yeah 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 and then this last statement shoot for low or no carbs after 5 p.m. Then, right and I was like <laughs> That's when I eat my carbs, Joe. <laughs> and really had a, re a strong reaction to it. But underneath that strong reaction was this little small voice that said, I will never be happy again <laughs> if I do that. Whoa. What about you? What's something that if you lost it, or maybe it's something you're chasing after. What if you never get it? And there's a small, deep, there's a small voice deep within you that says, if I lose that thing or that person or that dream, or if I don't get the thing I'm longing for, I truly don't think that I can ever be truly happy. In this life, or with God. The question to ask ourselves is, what am I orbiting around? What's the centrifugal or what's the gravitational pull of my life? Is it a circumstance that's overwhelming to me? And so it may feel chaotic, but I can just feel this pull of this thing. My thoughts are around this. Everything I'm spending my time and resources on is around this thing. Maybe it's um, a desire that you have. You find yourself just not being able to really be sure how you feel except in relationship to this thing. Is there hope there? Is it disappointment? Hope, disappointment. It's this constant orbiting around this desire. Or is what's constantly drawing your heart, the affection of Jesus for you, 
and you're longing to live a life that returns that affection in every way. As we get ready to come to the table together, I wanna close today by sharing a practical resource that helps us desire only to fear the Lord, cultivating that holy indifference. It's a statement um, from Ignatius, or it's a translation of a longer statement of his. In just a second, we're going to put it on the screen. Um, he talks about how we shouldn't want one thing over another, but only in this dance of like what helps us to make a return of love to God more easily, more fully. And here's the statement. I encourage you to take a picture of it with your phone if you desire to look at it later to kind of bring it to memory over and over throughout the week, even to pray it as a prayer to Jesus each morning and evening. Here's the statement. Our only desire and our one choice should be this. I want and I choose what better leads to God's deepening life in me. I'm gonna read it again. Our only desire and our one choice should be this. I want and I choose what better leads to God's deepening life in me. Friends, Psalm 128 is a song that promises happiness. It promises blessing, that those who fear the Lord can know that God is invested in their well-being, in their satisfaction, in their fulfillment, in their joy. It meant something to the people of Israel. It meant something to Jesus. And because of what Jesus has done, it can mean something to us. It holds within it an invitation to release things. As you come to the table this morning, maybe there is something that you realize you're just, you're orbiting around it. It is captivating you. And it is not the love of God. I invite you, even as you take the elements, to ask Jesus, Jesus, help me release this thing. Help me to shift my gaze to where you are the central thing that is pulling me in towards yourself. And I encourage you to read this psalm this week, to read it as a blessing, but also to let the cry of your heart come out that, Jesus, I trust you for the goodness that I want, the goodness that I need. I am your child. I am a part of your bride, your church. Your desire is that my life is fruitful and only you can make that a reality. You are my true happiness, Jesus, and I am yours. Let that be the cry of your heart as Pastor Rory leads us to the table. Pastor Sarah, thank you so much. Such a good word. Can we give Pastor Sarah? Yeah. Thank you, friends. I want to invite you to stand where you are as we prepare to come to the table this morning. I love the the imagery that comes out of that psalm. That many of us, as we walk forward this morning, what we will find in our hearts are these desires, these longings for joy, for happiness, for fulfillment. And as we make our way to the table, what we discover is that God is waiting there for us, waiting to give us himself. We remember that on the night that he was betrayed, he took bread and he broke it and he said, this is my body, which is given for you. Every time you eat, would you do this in remembrance of me? That same night he took the cup he said, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Every time you drink, would you do so in remembrance of me? I want to invite our communion servers to come forward this morning. 
you know the way that this works. We'll form two lines down the center aisle. If you're in this section, you'll receive from this side of the table. If you're in this section, you'll receive from over here. One of our servers will hand you a wafer that represents the body of Christ broken for you. You can take that wafer and you'll dip it in the cup that represents the shed blood of Jesus. You'll take that back to your seat and you'll eat and you'll drink with your family. If, if you see someone sitting alone, invite them to come join with you as you take it together. Friends, these are the gifts of God given for the people of God. Would you come forward to receive communion?